0: Welcome to the Lindsay Hadley Podcast Show. I'm coming to you from the North Shore of Oahu, where weekly I interview some of the world's most inspiring people from business, philanthropy, and entertainment. I love collecting humans, and these are some of my favorites I've found along the way. This podcast is brought to us by Capita Financial Network. Do you need help with the next steps of your financial plan? Think Capita. Capita is a financial network built around you. They have a team of financial advisors, CPAs, state attorneys, Medicare providers, and social security experts to help you accomplish your financial goals. Call or schedule a complimentary consultation at 801-566-5058 or visit their website at CapitalFinancialNetwork.com. You can also check out their financial education podcast, The Financial Call, available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and YouTube. Hi,
1: Greg. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on our show. I'm so thrilled to meet you and be able to speak with you today. And I'm um, so excited to hear all about your business and your life. And thank you for making the time for us.
2: Pleasure to be here.
1: Well, Greg, um, Tony is our guest today and he's had an incredible career in apparel and he's uh, got a company that I've just, when I first saw your brand I just geeked out because I was saying I'm such a big fan of uh, Native American culture and art and you guys have basically turned the moccasin into the coolest thing ever
2: (laughs) and I'd love
1: I'd love to hear your story about first of all tell us a little bit about you and your background and then kind of a little introduction I love to have my guests kind of share their you know their snapshot of their bio a little bit uh or even get started is that all right maybe share a little bit about you that'd be great
2: Sure, no, I'd be glad to. So um, I'm one of those uh, strange ones. Uh, went to college at BYU and then went away to the East Coast for about 40 years. I've been uh, the president CEO of two different uh, publicly held companies over the last 20 years. also was the uh, global brand president for uh, Wolverine Worldwide, which has 12 brands, including brands like Merrill and Saucony and Keds and all that other good stuff and uh, also worked with uh, Blackstone Private Equity, uh, the largest private equity company in the world, uh, and have always really been, uh, I hate to use the term, always been kind of a shoe dog. But over those years, most of those brands had footwear, apparel, and accessories. Mm -hmm. I've been in the uh, fashion and uh, function uh, area of those for the last uh, 25 years.
1: That's amazing. And And tell us about how you ended up being the CEO and president of Manitoba, which is just so exciting.
2: Yeah, so it's interesting, Uh, up until COVID, I was one of those guys that uh, wore a blue suit, white shirt, red tie every day, Uh, went into the office, kind of that corporate uh, thing being part of publicly held companies. And uh, when COVID happened, uh, I was at Wolverine at the time as the global president, you gotta realize it, uh, Wolverine, we were in 122 countries with our brands. So it was really a great experience and great immersion as far as global branding. I'm kind of one of those ones that believe that uh, if you're gonna be a brand, if you're not a global brand, you're not really a brand in today's marketplace. <laughs> so when uh, COVID took place, I got a call on a Friday morning in Michigan in our offices. And they said, by the way, we're shutting the whole office now at the end of the day, and our executive committee. And they said, oh, and by the way, you can go live anywhere you want. At that time, you gotta realize being in 122 countries, I had been using Zoom for about five years. So mm-hmm. it was very yes. common for us to have all of our meetings uh, virtual uh, to meet with all of our partners on a regular basis. So uh, I called my wife up and said, hey, uh, you know that uh, snow cabin we have up in Park City? Um, uh-huh. Let's let's get tickets tonight and go there and we'll stay there during COVID. And what happened was was, During that time in COVID, we found out we just absolutely loved Park City. And uh, at the end of it, when they said, it's time to come back to Michigan, I said, I'm not coming back. And it's a a new world out there. So um, I was kind of a free agent consulting for a lot of different people. And somebody came to me and they had an opportunity. And I said, I'd love to be part of this opportunity. I felt like I was at a point in my career, I really wanted to give back. And I said, I only have one requirement. I have to live out of Park City. And they said, that's great. You can be the CEO and live out of Park City. So we have an office in Park City and we have an office uh, in Winnipeg, Canada as our international office. So for the last two years, I've been commuting back and forth with our teams and we are actually a work from home first organization. So everybody in our company works from home. Uh, We do meet on uh, a regular basis, uh, monthly as well as quarterly. We feel that it helps us kind of uh, have more continuity and better collaboration if we can meet. In fact, last week I was in Boston at a product product meeting uh, with our team. And so uh, I'm a big believer that there is no one zip code that has all the talent, but if you took the whole world, there's more talent in those zip codes. And so we have people in uh, different countries. We have people in six different time zones. Um, and uh, it's a much different world than what I grew up with, but I really like it and like what it represents to our organization.
1: That's amazing. And I, I can totally relate to you as a global consultant who's had clients all over the world that basically been working remote for 10 years. Um, it's interesting to see the world catch up catch up with the yeah. process that we that some of us some of us uh, digital nomads you know have been able to utilize and um there's different etiquette and different you know opinions and you know all kinds of different ideas about how to go about being a remote but it's it, it's definitely enabled as you said probably above all else to have a global pool of talent and relationships that span such a a, a vast degree of um, expertise it's so cool so i love that so um I don't know if you knew this, guy. I'm actually, I grew up in the Park City area and I'm originally from there. I live now on the North Shore of Oahu. but Okay. um, So that's home to me, that part of the world. So I'm so thrilled to hear you fell in love with it. You know, all of the world flooded to, from New York and LA and San Francisco, like they flooded to Park City area. In fact, that's like what ended up getting me and my family in Oahu is uh, somebody knocked on our door and wanted to buy our home when it wasn't on the market kind of thing, you know? So we ended up kind of being in that, that, uh, that, that incredible, you know, impetus of people coming in, but, um, but yeah, I, so you, so, you know, this brand, tell me a little bit about Manitoba because, you know, um, you know, it's the story, the history behind how it got started. And um, I'm, I've been such a fan of uh, indigenous culture and art, but I, I know that in today's conversation, there's a big discussion about cultural appropriation, about, you know, all of these things. I'd love for you to share the nuances of some of that. Those are important discussions to be having. Um, I have many friends that are artists of, uh, you know, who have feel have different feelings. They have, they have a different spectrum of feelings. Just, it, you know, it's not, it's not um, unanimous amongst the community about, you know, as uh, Indigenous artists, how they feel that it should go about. Some are honored that that it's taking off. Some are thrilled that people are incorporating their culture. And some feel very differently. And I'd love to hear what you guys have done to address that, how you approach that and and the process and the story and history and origin of your business.
2: Yeah. I grew up in the Southwest in Arizona. So I grew up with indigenous uh, communities and very familiar with them. And it's interesting as you go up to Canada, they have a much different um, approach there. They're actually, believe it or not um, quite far behind the United States, as far as our reconciliation with indigenous communities. And mm-hmm. so it's been interesting. They have up there 600 different bands of wow. indigenous communities. And our founder was a gentleman by the name of Sean McCormick and he's Métis. And 25 years ago, his father was a trapper. And so, uh, he was followed his father. He was trapping, he was tanning leather. And, uh, someone once came into him and said, Hey, your family knows how to bead and make moccasins. If you guys would take this leather and tanning and things you're doing, and make moccasins, we would buy them. And thus uh, a company was started 25 years ago. Wow. And, and so it's, it's it's a real story. It's not made up on Madison Avenue.
1: Uh,
2: <laughs> Sean, is, Sean is is uh, our chief impact officer today. And Sean, I would say when it came to social impact um, and cultural appropriations and everything else, I would say that he was probably 25 years ahead of his time. Um, wow. and they have really done it right in that, uh, there isn't anything that we make that doesn't have an indigenous artist at the heart of it. Um, right. and everything that we do is the right way. So believe it or not, we have a lot of companies out there that actually contact us and say, how do you do this right? Uh, yeah. Because people yeah. know that they're, they're doing it wrong. So for example, um, one of our competitors is, uh, uh, they, I think people think they're a competitor of ours, but they're not really, but uh, many Tonka moccasins. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a family, it's a business that's uh, actually owned by uh, a Jewish family. And uh, they have been doing things that are uh, just really horrendous culture appropriations that are not right. Um, But they weren't aware of it. Mm -hmm. And so they actually came to us Mm -hmm. and said, Hey, how do we do this and reconcile this and uh, make it Mm -hmm. right forward? So, There's people that have reached out to us to say, we wanna do this right, how do we do it right? You know, Park City's are probably a pretty good example. Um, As you know, Park City has literally a hundred different art galleries, right? And they have beautiful beautiful Mm -hmm. paintings of indigenous life and life on the prairies and everything else. And when you go in there and say, hey, I'd like to buy a painting, is any of them done by an indigenous artist? Never. It's either Mm -hmm. a European European artist or an Asian artist. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is, is like they're not even aware of what they're doing, uh, that yeah. they're literally stealing this art. And so um, we think one of our responsibilities is that we don't own moccasin making. That came from our elders that, you know, uh, centuries ago and that we don't own it. But our job is to really make people aware of it and uh, make mm-hmm. sure that we're doing the right things for the community and keeping beading and moccasin making alive.
1: Oh, it's such a beautiful culture. Um, And there's so much story and intricacies of the design and the symbolism is so profound. Um, And I think that's so wonderful to hear. And it actually makes me really proud of that group that reached out to you, the humility as a competitor to reach out to you and say, we're messing up. I think that's a big part of at least what my Indigenous friends have shared. They just really like to see the sincerity of people saying, I want to do better. And um, I love that you have that sincere origin story. And uh, that's so great that Sean's still a leader in the company and, and shaping the vision and the narrative and the, and the purview of where you guys go. So are you finding that, um, you know, in this world of uh, of fast fashion and e-commerce or, you know, with <laughs> we just recently had because your stuff is much more. Uh, quality it's much higher end it's, it's yep. stuff that would last like generations you could pass yep. these moccasins down to your grandkids literally um which i think is so cool do you find that uh people are really respecting the, the fact that you guys are not just kind of you know something that's you know will fall apart and be thrown away in a few in a few in a season or whatever i mean do you find that there's um that in the apparel world you have such experience in is this a horse of a different color, so to speak, what you're doing with Manitoba?
2: Yeah, I went from mass manufacturing to uh, micro manufacturing, but we have two parts of our business. So we have, first and foremost, an area that's called the indigenous marketplace. And in the indigenous marketplace, we provide a platform on e commerce. Uh, people can buy from all over the world. In fact, we just had a couple of weeks ago one of our uh, most beautiful uh, muckluk boots. Uh, it was over $1,500 and actually yeah. a gentleman, a gentleman out of, uh, East Berlin bought it. Okay. And, uh, because they want the real deal and they want the real authentic, um, yeah. uh, thing. And actually when we send it to them, it tells them who the artist is, who, how they built it and everything else. But cool. we, we have that marketplace and that marketplace, we have everything from moccasins to mukluks to, uh, jewelry, to you name it is on that marketplace. Our artists who create those, they get 100% of all the profit. We don't take a dime. Okay. So that is one part of our business. And so if you want something made by Rosa, uh, which is one of the top beaters in the world, you can get hers and it may be a thousand dollars, but it can't be replaced. and then we actually have what you would see in say a Nordstrom or a Dillard's or a, a normal yeah. department store. We have that, and that would be maybe a two or $300 version. And it's made in the best factories in the world in places like Vietnam. Believe it or not, the most technically advanced shoes are made in Vietnam. So if you look at Nike and Adidas, there's a reason why they're in Vietnam. Um, all yeah. of our, all of our boots are waterproof and uh, waterproofing, uh, Vietnam is one of the few places in the world that you can actually get uh, 100% uh, waterproofing done as well. So we have two wow. sides of our, our sides of our business. Cool. And, um, you know, so if anybody says, hey, I want the real deal, or, are you doing the real deal? Absolutely. And cool. our indigenous marketplace is alive and well. And it, it really means something to the artist. You got to realize for an artist to go sell a $1,500 boot online, uh, they're feeding their family for a couple months because of that boost. Yeah, um, Fair it makes real impact and real social Incredible. impact.
1: That's amazing, Greg. So, um, was that uh, was that kind of the purview of your corporate social responsibility that marketplace? Because taking no profit, how does this make sense for you guys? <laughs> yeah, or so this, yeah, well, where so does that is, originate?
2: This is a really an interesting model. So, um, when I got contacted by Endeavor Private Equity. They said, hey, we wanna go buy this company. And by the way, Greg, there is a social impact side of it. So we sat down and really looked at it and we said, hey, can we be one of those companies that actually do both? We do good in the community, but also do good uh, economically. And what I found with social impact, if you don't make any money, it's hard to have a mission. So again, yeah. to support the mission. So we yeah. actually have, we have a couple different missions that we support. First and foremost, we support the indigenous marketplace that we give them back 100% of the profits. Uh, another part that we have is called the story Boot School. And the Storyboot School is something that you can sign up for college credit. You get to learn the history and the art of beat making. And you actually go to a class and you get to make your own um, bucklucks and, and moccasins and actually get college credit for it. Um, mm. And this brings the elders of the community together. And they actually get to tell their story and keep that alive in the marketplace. And we sponsor that 100%. Uh, we donate wow. to that and that is uh, our part. The other part we have is economic sovereignty and economic sovereignty is actually providing real jobs uh, that provide real income that changes families' lives. So you gotta realize right now, 59% of all of our employees are, are indigenous, okay? Uh-huh. So so I'm the, the gringo of the company, but 59%. <laughs> and so in many of these cases, um, we are changing what may have been a life cycle of poverty, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And this is usually the first time that someone has had a professional job making a sustainable living. And what we're seeing is um, not so much that we're changing their lives, but what we're really changing is the lives of their kids. Because now their kids are saying, I can go to school. I can go to college. Um, Mm -hmm. I do have a family who can support me. And um, you got to realize, in Winnipeg, where our corporate headquarters are, twenty-three percent of the entire population is indigenous. And in that indigenous community, uh, they have the highest um, alcoholism, they have the highest unemployment rate, mm-hmm. the highest poverty rates, et cetera, et cetera. So we are really changing the economic sovereignty uh, for these people uh, in Canada, and now we're starting to expand um, across to the United States as well.
1: That's so stunning what an incredible um i guess just like i I would be so proud for that platform to have that you have the majority of your of your employee base is indigenous that you're you're creating um you know this sustainable model for these families and these artists and for talent and for professionals i just love what you guys are doing what an incredible company i'm so glad we could highlight what you're doing um greg um, I'm curious, like, what is the name of the marketplace? Just so I make sure I understand it. Is oh, it separate to Manitoba so or so your state?
2: If, if you actually go onto our website, you can click onto it and you'll yeah. see the, and uh, you can go onto the uh, website, okay. this marketplace. And then there's the Storyboot School, which has its own website, uh, that you can go to. And then Economic Sovereignty is we actually provide, um, we will be a B Corp, uh, this year. Uh, we actually, uh, submitted that application. Wow. It will become a B Corp. So all of the information that I'm sharing with you, all those data points, uh, will be served up on our annual report. Uh, Wonderful. We, and I think I think to your question that you're asking about, you know, how does this work, and how do you make money? And you know, trust me, private equity people are not into the charity business, <laughs> yeah. and we don't we don't believe you for come
1: me. from Blackstone. I mean, you, yes. you wear you, you this has got your hit hit your head, your heart, and your wallet in your yes. world, right? Um,
2: so. So one of the things I want to make sure that people understand is this is where we think our model is different. There has been a significant shift, uh, in the consumerism, uh, in North America over the last five years. I grew up in the business where you could slap a label on anything. And if you price it at the right price and you put it in Kohl's or pennies or whatever you could yes. sell. And, and it wasn't yes. issue. with the new millennials, with the new X, the Y, the Z generation. Um, they are actually looking for brands that have a real purpose. And mm-hmm. we actually have data that tells us 80% of those generations will actually pay at full price if they know the company is doing good and actually has a real social. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas when you get um, uh, the baby boomers, 65% of all baby boomers are looking for something on sale. Um, so it's a much different dichotomy of consumers out there and what we find is when they learn about our story and they have an opportunity to buy our products, um they will buy them they will buy them at full price. they're not looking to buy them at j c Penneys nothing is j c pennies We're not in j c Penneys but um the fact of the matter is is it really is a game changer, if you will in the in the market and making it a, a for profit organization
1: <laughs> that's a really stunning model, like you said it's unique and you're, you're having to navigate a bunch of different worlds. And I, I love that, you know, in the world of social impact where I've spent my career, um, you know, I, there's always issues of, you know, how much can we make it so that all parties win? Like it's a win-win situation that investors see returns. And, you know, some people are critical of that. Hey, you can't actually make, it doesn't do that much good and it doesn't make that much money. But that has been my experience. I've seen an incredible, My experience firsthand has been stunning, the impact that people can have when they have the mechanism of the free market and capitalism behind an incentive, you know, dynamics. So I love that you guys have that. Um, So Greg, like, how do you pick the, how do you find and how do you pick these incredible artisans? Like, what's your guys' process to sourcing the best talent from these communities?
2: Yeah, so believe it or not, um, there are some major events, um, they call them, you know, there's like the Great uh, Southwest Palo that takes place in Albuquerque and in Phoenix. And believe it or not, this indigenous artist community is a very close knit community. They know each other. Mm -hmm. And and they want to come be part of us. They want to be one of our uh, artists. Mm -hmm. Um, And Um, So we actually go to these big festivals, these big powwows, and we actually meet them. Uh, We have a a person on our staff. Her name is Laura. She is Métis as well. And she actually goes to these festivals and she actually finds out who's the, you know, whose artist is doing what, who specializes in a certain type of beading, who specializes in a certain type of art. And we actually go out and find them. And then we bring them into our uh, organization. We found a person this year. Uh, Dwayne Dale. Dwayne Dale is uh, Navajo. He's Dene. Uh, he's out of Mesa. And he put together a men's collection for us this year that has been absolutely stunning. But if you look at the art on the boot, uh, it has these waves that have been done with with stitching. But because wow. he he comes from uh, Mesa, Arizona, and he had that red stone and those red, uh, you know, desert scenes. that's what and then his colors on the eyelets are all turquoise, which are all very indigenous. To Beautiful. And if yeah. we ever tried to use like an American or somebody that was taught out of New York, they would never even think of those nuances. So, right. Um, right. This year, this year, we brought on more indigenous artists than we have at any given time in the history of the company. Um, and uh, just have a lot of collaborations going on right now. One that, I'll give you a little buzz on that's kind of interesting. Is uh, in November we're doing a collab with Drake, uh, and cool. there'll be an all-white moccasin, all-white fur uh, that he'll be launching in his stores uh, as well as us online. Uh, it'll be very a limited cool, list, limited edition. But um, I never thought through this company that I would be meeting. Great, <laughs>
1: that's incredible. I love that that you're working with you know there's this celebrity component can really bring a spotlight and they can shed their the amplification around this incredible art because ultimately they're artists right like musicians like drake and 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 actors are masters of their craft and now they get to kind of geek out on other masters of of the craft of 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 this apparel so that's really cool it's all an expression of what's going on in, in our internal world and Our culture really has uh, come to really respect, I think, and love and cherish the uniqueness and the richness of indigenous design and art and apparel. So I think that's wonderful. That's so cool, have fun.
2: We have some, uh, some, it'll be coming out next year, but we have some uh, campaigns that we're looking at doing. Believe it or not, there are um, really some big Hollywood stars that have been very sensitive to the indigenous uh, communities. Um, mm-hmm. If you look at Matthew McConaughey, he's a big supporter mm-hmm. of indigenous communities. Um, yes, and and I could keep going through the list, but we're actually looking at ones who really want to get involved with this and be part of it. And uh, believe it or not, they're not B stars; they're like A plus stars. Yes. Leonardo Leonardo DiCaprio when he did his one his latest movie that got so much uh, notoriety, and he got his Oscar for uh, he really played that indigenous, you know, community part of it, and so we believe that there's opportunities to um, get those people engaged, and and they want to, they want to be part of it.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think people want to do
1: better. They want to cherish and amplify and heal and rectify what has been done. Um, in it, it, that, in our human nature, we're all just kind of horrified. has happened, you know, historically, and continues to happen today. So I'm really grateful for businesses like yours and leadership like yours, Greg. Um, so tell me, Greg, like you, uh, as you're building this business, what are some, our listeners, you know, Capital Financial Network which sponsors our show. Um, I'm the director of client relations there. We are constantly trying to find people of high capacity and high character who, of course we manage people's, we're a full service wealth management company and we help manage their finances and help them, achieve their goals and whatnot but we are really big in relationship and understanding people and what drives people and what um you know building an ecosystem of relationships of trust as you've been in business and had so much success in this world of apparel and as you mentioned building global brands in so many different countries and cultures there's probably all kinds of different levers and hacks you have to use that are not analogous some things are just innately this is how you do online marketing but there's a lot of nuances that you have to understand and curious what you would share is kind of some of the great takeaways of building a global brand and or um, helping tell the story well of your business. Because a lot of our listeners are business owners or investors in major businesses and, you know, shareholders of uh, the purview of wanting to get, as you mentioned, amplification around what they're trying to achieve as a, as a brand. And I'd love your insights with all of your marketing background.
2: Yeah, I would tell you, first and foremost, it started with Sean McCormick. He he realized that the company had kind of reached its peak, if you will, with his talent and his background. He's from Manitoba. He's lived in Manitoba his whole life. And he was smart enough and pragmatic enough to say, hey, I've got to do something with somebody. One, first and foremost, to grow any business globally, you got to get the capital. So he was smart enough to go to private equity side. And then on the other side of it, is to say, hey, I've got to get management in here and get out of their way and help them grow this into a global brand. And so we made some very conscious decisions early on. First and foremost, this idea about, um, you know remote first uh, work environment. Um, you might think about that and say, oh, that's just one of those things that make you feel good. No, it actually makes a big difference. Um, we were able to get our CMO, our chief marketing officer is a guy by the name of Aaron Carpenter. Aaron Carpenter was the CMO at North Face when they were at 500 million and took them to 1.5 billion. Okay. And so he has an amazing capacity to understand big picture. How do you take a brand globally? Um, And if we would have said, nah, everybody's gotta be in Winnipeg. We never get an Aaron Carpenter, right? Uh, Right. Aaron still lives in San Francisco. He lives in Silicon Valley. He ain't moving, Um, but he has been really the driving force. When you look at our creative, in our messaging that's going out there, uh, that's coming out with somebody with like him. Um, our two people that are heading up product now, uh, a guy by the name of Kitty Boulay, another guy by the name of Chris Paulus, they were both at Timberland for 23 years. If you took the two of them combined, wow. I don't think you could find anybody in the US that has made as many boots as they have in the last two decades. <laughs> wow. And so, so part of bringing that global plan to life, is actually getting people who have been exposed to global branding, uh, who understand what it takes to do that versus being a regional or just a local brand. So we've, we've been very fortunate to, uh, you know, our CFO came from Travis Matthews on the West Coast uh, and, you know, comes to us with, uh, you know, an amazing background. And we just have a, a very eclectic group that this has allowed us to do this. And I would say the other thing is, is to be fair, is when I called Aaron the first time and said, "Hey, I'm working on this little project, you may not be interested. Um, when I tell them our story and what we're doing, if, yeah, you know it's like Aaron's Aaron said, "I don't even care if I get paid. I, I just want to be part of this." Um, that is now so he, cool. gets, he gets paid. He does get paid.
1: Of course. Um, yes.
2: but um, hopefully, handsomely,
1: the, because you know you hope you can reward people that are doing it for yes, reasons. So yes. I'd love to see huge um, success for and abundance around that.
2: So being able, our first and foremost focus has been on getting people who actually get the story and want to be part of it. If they just want it for another job or just another paycheck, we're the wrong company. Um, And so I think that's the biggest part of taking a global brand is really getting those disciplines, whether it's product, whether it's marketing, whether it's logistics um, and getting those lined up. So that you actually have a chance to to take it more on a, a global scale,
1: that's incredible, Greg. I love it. I love that you guys are so on mission and that you have this uh, vision, and people you're collecting the right hearts and the right minds to, yeah. to around that. Um, it, in what have you learned to kind of in leadership in terms of again, you know even with the fifty nine percent employment of indigenous, I think is so epic um. You know, you, you, you humbly mentioned, like, I'm the gringo and I'm at the top. Like, how, how do you navigate any of that stuff where, I mean, that's challenging, right? Like, I'm like, I would imagine a sensitivity. um, I mean, I kind of always find myself just being like, man, I wish I, I I, I wish I knew all the ways to like help manage these expectations. You know, I've I've worked in so many different projects around the world and we're in verbal countries doing humanitarian work and we're trying to enable the local grassroots people to rise up and empower them in leadership but you you know we have a skill set to bring, and we can't be unabashed about about being like yeah this is this is where I come from this is my experience the access and the resources the levers that I have like I can't pretend I don't have these and I'm here to help you right that other centric energy is pretty sincere and I think people catch onto it but do you do you have any tips about how to do that in your position you know
2: yeah, my, my career has been one of, you know, usually if you call in Greg Tunney, it's usually because your company's going through a turnaround or a, a significant change. I, I don't get called in by Nike because they're doing so well. Okay? So so I'm typically going in because either the company's decided to take a strategic change or there's trouble or whatever it may be. And the thing that I've learned is that, quite frankly, nobody cares who Greg Tunney is. Nobody even cares about my background. Um, What I've learned the most important thing that I have to do, especially in this case of going into an indigenous culture and really trying to be embraced by it, is the first and foremost is you have to start to develop some type of trust. And that's what I focus on is that um, I'm here for one reason, one reason only, to make positive social impact with indigenous communities. And, you know, all I can do, you know, most people say, well, you know, is that really what you're up to? Are you up to something else? And all we can do is let the data speak for itself. So this year we hired more indigenous artists than they've ever had. This year we hit 59% uh, indigenous employee base that they have never hit before. Um, Mm -hmm. We actually have two indigenous board members. Um, I would challenge you to find any private equity firm that has a board that has two indigenous board members. Um, We right now, uh, 67% of our company are female. Um, so, cool. you know, all we can do is show the facts and show the data, um, instead of yep. you know, when you start trying to pound your chest, people mm-hmm. kind of say, Hey, what, what you have a motive there, you know, what is it? Yeah. And so we just kind of let the data speak for itself and really focus on building trust. You know, these are communities that have been broken for centuries. They've been exploited. Mm-hmm. They've been taken mm-hmm. advantage of. And even something as simple as you and I would say, oh, it's time to get the COVID shot. Uh, think of an indigenous person that, that says, now let me get this right. Um, the colonists, again, want us to trust them and I should take this shot. Um, yeah, and, right. And as you can imagine, there's a lot of sensitivity to that. Of course. And so for me, it has been an amazing experience of things that we take for granted in regards to trusting people and everything else Yet these people have been exploited, their lands have been stolen. Uh the list goes on and on and on. And, you know, their 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 children uh um have been stolen from them. I mean, it's just it's just horrendous. Yes. And yet people like us come in and say, Oh, please trust us. And right. and, and so um that to me has gone faster than I thought. Um, it's, it's not without its pain. It's not without your two steps forward, one step back, um, yeah. you know, you, you make, uh, mistakes. You know, I, I remember the first time that we had a group meeting and in the United States in the vernacular, it's very common to say, okay, let's all of us get together and we'll have a little powwow. Oh my gosh. Oh. You know, it was like, what, 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 what are you, what are you saying? You're, you can't, you know, a, a powwow uh-huh. in Canada uh, is a very sacred ceremony. Most of them go to it fasting. It's a cleansing process. Um, whereas in the States, they're more of a carnival, you know, depending on Mm -hmm. what you're dealing with. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you look at that and you say, okay, lesson learned. Um, and then you never make sure you never do it again, Uh, but you don't don't know what you don't know. Um, so, so that to me has been the biggest part, whether it's with this group, whether it's when I went to Bangor, Maine uh, to shut down domestic manufacturing or other jobs that I've had in my career, um, it's about developing and being transparent and developing trust with teams and people. Mm-hmm. And once you get the trust down, everything else is, I hate to say this, it's not easy, but it's all doable. You know, you need mm-hmm. to fix the balance sheet, doable. You need to fix the PL statement, doable. But if you don't have trust, if you don't have um, connectivity, um, it really slows down the process. So we've been very sensitive as a leadership team um, with everybody that we work with. Um, You know, we've been able, since we've we've been there, um, four out of the five positions that were management level positions, we've been able to promote from within. And I would tell you in some cases... We knew that those people would take additional development, but we were willing to make those commitments. So I think they're seeing the fruits of our labors versus yes. versus I think when I showed up my first time, they're like, "Who is this guy?" and you know, um yes. is this you know another person going to take advantage of us so yeah, it's been a great process
1: well, I think the humility to understand that that they're reticent to trust because people have not been trustworthy and so yeah. Understanding the woundy and giving grace to it and being like, yeah, I'm, it's not my fault, but it is my responsibility to now build this trust. I think that's really a, a great act of generosity and understanding and sensitivity that I think I really respect. I'm sure that, like, like you said, people can quickly see the difference between virtue signaling and the real deal. It's just time, time tells. There's somebody asked me once because somebody said, "Man, you gain trust with people so quickly. How do you do that?" And I was like, "I think just being trustworthy." <laughs> like I was like, "I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I think I just, you know, I think I'm just really for them. I think it's the truth, you know. So the truth kind of wins out over time." Um, but I, I, I really appreciate what you're saying, and um, so in your personal through those through those years of working in the industry with your private equity background. Did you have some liquidity events? Did you have some big exits and and you're now like you're able to have there? So I ask is like, are you in a financial purview that like that's why you were able to just make it all about your the mission? Does that make sense? Or was it more of like you got tired with just making it about transaction or what was the kind of the impetus for you to be like, this is what I want to do this. What's up next for me?
2: Yeah. So this home that we have in in Park City, we call this the R.G. Berry House. I worked for R.G. Berry Corporation. Mm -hmm. We did have a transaction. We did have a liquidity event. And so uh, we do call this the R.G. Berry House. Um, And and I think it's one of those things that you go through your career. I've been very blessed and very fortunate, been with amazing companies. We were able to be very successful. I had amazing mentors and it just Mm -hmm. came to a point in my career where I just kind of sat there and said, look, I got about five to seven years left, right? And yeah. I, I can go and uh, make another great turnaround and make a big buck and everything else. But I've done that multiple times. And this was, can I really do something that makes an impact and makes a difference um, and use my um, expertise in the field that I'm from and actually make a difference? And that's what, Got me here at the end of the day is cool. it? It actually did those two things for me.
1: That's incredible. I love that. And you have um, where are you with your family cycle? You got uh, kids and and happily married, and I think I can hear little kids in the background even.
2: Yeah, so I'm I'm very lucky. I'm I'm happily married of 37 years. You got to realize my oldest kid is 34. So the kids you're hearing are grandkids. Oh uh, my gosh! And um, that's one of those things, I guess, uh, working from home. They just flew in from Wisconsin. Um, so they're gonna we're gonna take them for a week of skiing out here. But, oh, um, but those are the fun incredible
1: things. right now, right? The snow incredible <laughs> right now. So you could do
2: best I've ever seen it. It doesn't get any better.
1: That's so fun. That's so fun. Um I really appreciate all that you've shared and kind of, you know, your uh sensitivities and insights and heart. I I mean I'm I'm obsessed with your guys' product. I'm definitely gonna like right now, I live in Hawaii. We basically don't wear shoes, but whatever. <laughs> but but uh, but I honestly do. I love I love what you guys do, and I would think that um, more and more people are going to hear about your your brand and and the heart of it. People are going to want to support that mission because it's so sincere and so they're so lucky to have you and your leadership. So, anything you want to share? Kind of as the last little bit. I know we just have a few minutes left. Is there anything Ooh. else you want to share about what you're learning or what you're up to, or you know?
2: I would tell you the one thing that I've kind of seen through my career is, you know, the different changes that companies go through. But the big one that most companies are really, you just hear all the noise on is, is about DEI, right? it's all about diversity, equity, inclusion. Mm -hmm. And what I've found over my career, and it doesn't matter whether I'm working out of California, out of New York, out of Maine, out of Michigan, it doesn't matter, is it's great to talk about diversity. It's great to talk about uh, equity. But quite frankly, if you don't have a culture that you've built in the company that has inclusion, the equity, the diversity and equity will come. But if you don't have inclusion, those will never come. And so right. one of the things that we focus on is even though we're an indigenous based company, we're inclusive of everyone. I just interviewed a person today that's going to be our new uh, business intelligence director. And uh, he's from Nigeria. Um, wow. And And he's got an amazing background technology-wise. But um, the one thing that we try to make sure we do is that when people come into the company, uh, whether they're coming in through virtually, whether they're coming in through remote or coming in actually being at the office, we wanna make sure that it's extremely inclusive. Um, And that was probably one of the hardest things to get this group to understand is that I didn't care if they were black, white, red, green, yellow, I don't care. I'm more about the character of the person, more about the talents of the person and getting them familiar with that. Now, just realize we have a indigenous first hiring policy, which says if we have two candidates that are equal, uh, we will hire the indigenous person first. But if we have someone that, um, you know, has a certain talent that somebody else doesn't, we will hire them of course, as well. So um, I think this idea of inclusion, I just keep hearing everyone talk about DEI, Mm-hmm. And the reason why people are having problems with DEI is because the companies aren't inclusive. Um, mm-hmm. they're, they're not reaching out to people. Um, mm-hmm. And 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 I've seen the social media uh, really retract on this. Uh, you know, when Black Lives Matter was happening, you know, when I was at Wolverine, Merrill uh, Hiking Boots came out publicly and said, we support Black Lives Matter and it's important to us. And then of course, on social media looked it up and said, wow, only 2% of your whole employee base are black. Um, how much do you really care about BLM? And and so today I think you have to be real. I think you have to be authentic. And I think you have to be inclusive because if you're not inclusive, you are going to miss out on amazing opportunities. Um, you know, in my yeah. life, I've worked with great artists, but some of the indigenous artists that we're, we're working with now are just amazing people. Um, oh so, uh, wow, yeah. If we wouldn't have been inclusive, we wouldn't have been able to benefit from that.
1: Well, Greg, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on the show. And we will put some links in our in the podcast sure. where people can find out, you know, how to buy your product and connect
0: and really appreciate you. Thanks, okay. thanks again. Take care. Do you need help with the next steps for your financial plan? Think Capita. Capita is a financial network built around you. They have a team of financial advisors, CPAs, estate attorneys, Medicare providers, and social security experts to help you accomplish your financial goals. Call to schedule a complimentary consultation at 801-566-5058, or visit their website at www.capitalfinancialnetwork.com. You can also check out their financial education podcast, The Financial Call, available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and YouTube.